we started a study in the Beatitudes, those eight sayings of Jesus. Each one is an exclamation of blessing in the life of those who enter that arena. I compared them to the eight pillars of an arena as the place God defines as the stadium of blessing. If you'd hold that thought, because uh, we are again entering that arena, but let me change the metaphor a little bit. Microsoft has spent five years and I believe over $16 million in developing a new operating system for personal computers. Uh, it's uh, going to be called Vista or is called Vista and it will be replacing the old Windows system gradually but any new computer you buy now will have Vista on it. Every computer without an operating system is actually a useless peak piece of electronic junk. It's the operating system that makes it something useful. In a very real sense, every human being was born with an operating system installed. The theologians call it Adam, the old nature, the sin nature, the carnal nature. And when we come to confess Jesus as Lord, he gives us a new operating system. And that system is the Beatitudes. It was through the Beatitudes that uh, maybe we weren't aware of it, but that was the process by which we came to know God. And it's the ongoing process whereby we keep refreshing our relationship with God. So it is really then for us to understand that the Beatitudes are not eight nice statements to put in stained glass and say, wow, they're beautiful. They are an operating system. And we want to then stir up our memory of the system. We want to make sure that we apply the system, uh, even as it is the hidden system behind everything we do. It's so helpful to highlight all the various aspects and develop a hunger for them and ask more for more of them from God. You remember also last week we said that Jesus is adamant that our righteousness as believers should exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, which is quite a awesome task that he gives us. And we therefore need to ask, in what way do we exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? And uh, this passage from Matthew chapter 23 will uh, give us clarity in that regard. And you can follow along or look it up in your own Bible or perhaps in the, in the uh, flyer, the bulletin. Uh, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of all your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. Now this one here is worthy of a far side cartoon. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, 
You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Maybe I can put that all in a very practical metaphor for you. One home that we lived in had a gravel patch outside the front door. It was about 10 or 12 feet square. And the previous owners wanted to be neat, I guess. They didn't want the work of tending a garden or mowing a lawn. And so they put down a piece of plastic and covered it with that white quartz-type gravel. And walking out, the glare would sort of make you squint. And after about five or six years, I got tired of that and decided I would replace the gravel patch with some refreshing greenery. I took a wheelbarrow and a shovel and I took all the gravel out, rolled back the plastic, took my shovel and was going to turn the soil in order to prepare it for a planting. And the soil was so hard that when I put the shovel into it, it sent a shockwave up my arm and I sort of got an electric jolt. Well, that's enough to put anyone off. So I thought, well, I'll do it next week. I need a pick. And uh, I retired uh, very hurt. The next day it began to rain. And there were three or four days of soft, gentle, refreshing rain. And lo and behold, out of that iron-hard soil, little green shoots appeared, 30 or 40 of them. And they were daffodils. These... Uh, flowers you are not there by accident they are to tie in with what I am saying and the Pharisees you see are this rock hard piece of gravel it's clean but it's sterile there's no real life there and what God does with us in the Beatitudes is he helps us roll back the gravel and take up the plastic and the dew of his grace falls upon that patch of barren soil and lo and behold something glorious for God begins to grow. We are therefore here this morning for the grace of God to shine upon us. And I thought it might be interesting to read that same scripture again. And I'll do it in a different translation, and this time I'm sure it will register with you even more deeply. Matthew 23 from the message by Peterson. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You keep meticulous account books tithing on every nickel and dime you get, but the meat of God's law, things like fairness and compassion and commitment, the absolute basics... You carelessly take it or leave it. Careful bookkeeping is commendable, but the basics are required. 
Do you have any idea how silly you look writing a life story that's wrong from start to finish, all the while nitpicking over commas and semicolons? You hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, you frauds, you burnish the surface of the cups and bowls so they sparkle in the sun while the insides are maggoty with your greed and gluttony. Stupid Pharisee, scour the insides and then the gleaming surface will mean something. You hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds, you're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped, flowers bright, but six feet down it's all rotten bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin you are total frauds. Now the first four Beatitudes which we looked at last week in fact were discovering that insideness to us. They, remember, are involved with emptying us out. They are involved with getting down to where the real issues of life are generated. They force us to confront our gravel patch. Uh, we compare ourselves to others and we come away preening ourselves. After all, we say, I'm not an Idi Amin or a Saddam Hussein or an Adolf Hitler. Uh, I'm not even like that preacher on Sunday, you know, I'm better than him. And so we cover our blemishes with ingenuity. I just want to recall for you very briefly the strength and truth of the fact that we are actually poor of spirit. Two simple stories. The first one, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle the author of the Sherlock Holmes uh, detective stories, once identified as a practical joke 10 prominent moral people in the city of London. And he played this joke on them. He sent each of them a telegram, and the telegram read, All is discovered. And the next morning, all 10 of them had left England and were across the channel in, England, in France. Now, you're supposed to laugh, but okay, that, that's my sense of humor. Maybe you don't think that's funny. Here's one which maybe will more, be more funny to you if you're not too shocked by it. Uh, it was George Bernard Shaw, I believe, who was sitting at dinner with some people, and next to him was a perfectly charming young woman, and he turned to her and said, would you go to bed with me for 10,000 pounds? a huge amount of money in those days. And she blushed demurely and smiled at him from under her eyelids, uh, indicating, yeah, that, that was something she would do. So then he said to her, would you go to bed with me for five pounds? And she looked shocked. And she said, who do you take me for? And he said, we've already established that. All we're doing is haggle over the price. Ah, yes, you see, there's a bit of that in all of us. And so that is what the first four Beatitudes are telling us, that uh, we present our lives like this well-washed shining walnut to God, and God's there to crack the shell and have a look what's inside. And we're convinced that there'll be a nice, juicy, tasty, delightful-looking kernel of a nut there. And lo and behold, 
All that there is to be found is a fat, squirming, squishy maggot. Yes, my heart has got maggots in it. And that's why I need the grace of God. So let's look at the next four, which show us the flowering of the daffodils. The first four stripped away, the gravel and the plastic, and now the grace of God. What does it produce? What does is, what is the gospel produce in people? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now this is how... Our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. We keep the law as they did. If you ever think that grace means that you don't, you can now shelve the law, uh, be aware that Jesus said you ought to keep the law, but go way beyond that because grace does more than the law. God is merciful and we become merciful even as he is. Now let me put this in a very practical way. Whenever somebody sins against you, you have them in your power. The wages of sin is death, and you are able to perform a metaphorical execution upon them. Therefore, when you see them, you cut them off as dead. When you speak of them, you speak of them in terms of the anger that you feel within you. And remember Jesus said, anger taken to its logical conclusion is murder. Therefore you assassinate their character, you look down on them, and you actually, in that sense, then do what the bumper sticker says, don't just get mad, get even. So we hold them in contempt, vent our anger on them, and treat them as dead people. Now, I unfortunately have to confess that this happened to me just yesterday. That somebody who has sinned against us as a family came to our front door. And my wife went to the door and spoke. And I sat around the corner chewing bricks, wishing I could throw one at the person and refused to get up and go and say anything to him. And you see, that's a bug in the operating system. And I've got to iron that out. And so my poverty of spirit came to the foreground very unexpectedly. Just the emotion of the moment overwhelmed me and I could not face going around the corner just to be civil and polite. Now, Jesus is constraining us to mercy. After all, we've experienced it in infinite measure, have we not? And so we've got to look at the people that we are contemptuous about and say, am I going to allow that maggot to determine who I am? Or am I going to allow the grace of God make a daffodil grow in its place? How important is it? They shall obtain mercy. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. And many of his parables deal with the issue that if we have experienced the true grace and mercy of God, it will make us merciful in return and as a result. And so 
Here we go then. Let's look at the next one. Here's another daffodil. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Not just the external, as our scripture reading said, but the inward reality needs to be pure. Purity has got to do with holiness, but only as a result of something else. The first cause of all purity in our lives is that we are single of heart and eye. The word purity meaning singleness. You remember in another place, Jesus said, you are blessed if your eye is single. In other words, it's not, you're not by, by, uh, by looking. You're not squinting, looking <laughs> cast-eyed, looking at two things at the same time because then you're going to fall off the platform for sure. No, he says you've got a single objective in your life. And because of that, you are a holy person. Because of that, you are righteous and so on and so forth. So it is to be free of other gods and of idolatry. It is to serve God alone. Now, this is actually a great mercy. Because every day you have maybe a hundred or a thousand voices clamoring for your attention. Uh, the advertising world from the business sector of our life is telling us we simply have to have these things. The propaganda of the world is out there telling us you really need to look after yourself and what things are going to make you successful. You've got a wife or a husband and a boss and children and neighbors and there's this great clamor of continual noise calling for your attention. But when you are single of heart, the glory is that you're listening to only one voice. And that one voice will simplify your lifestyle enormously because it will enable you to focus on one thing. In my office, I have this Latin phrase on my bulletin board, nec laudibus, nec timore. Now you all know what that is, so let's go on. <laughs> This is what it means, neither for applause nor out of fear. That is purity of heart, and I desire that for myself. I want to do my work in this congregation, not for your applause. Well, when you give it to me, it's very welcome. But I'll tell you this, I've been around long enough that within the space of one week, your applause could turn to hissing and booing. And I'm not doing any work in this congregation out of fear. Fear I might lose my job or fear that somebody's not going to like me or fear that in some way I'm going to upset someone. I have a single eye, please God. I want to live for him alone. And really, in a sense, you are all background noise. And it's a great simplifier of lifestyle. So then... How are you living? If you are living in the way the beatitude indicates, then the reward is that you will see God. Of course you'll see him. You're focusing on him. And the reality of him in your life will become more and more intense. And there will be a growing sense of the presence of God in your life because you are focused on him. 
And then automatically almost you will say, what do I want to do to please him? And the righteousness which the Pharisees did as a duty, you will do as a love offering. And that's far more beautiful and freeing. And so the third one is, this was the third um, daffodil to poke its little tendril out of the hard soil of your heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, the old operating system says, be a peace stirrer. Just listen to the the uh, interviews that journalists give to people. They always try to stir things by the questions they ask. Right now, there's that terrible thing going on. I just saw it in passing between, is it Rosie O'Donnell and Ted Turner? I think it is. Having a go at each other in public, stirring each other up, and the venom and the juice of their poison is flowing. But we are not peace stirrers, nor are we peacekeepers. You know what a peacekeeper is? It says, I'm going to keep the peace at any cost, and so they lift the carpet and sweep the dirt under it. And they think, I'm being Christ-like. <laughs> well, you see, some people have got so much dirt under the carpet, it's sort of waist-high already. <laughs> And instead of there being the peace of God, everybody's dancing around this big heap of dirt that's under the carpet and pretending that everything is normal. That's not what in mind here. A peacekeeper, a peacemaker speaks the truth in love. And so a peacemaker walks into the room and says, what's this dirt here? And just hope it's not the, ba the pet parakeet under there. What's this lump here? And let's pull back the carpet. Let's look to see what this is. Let's confront the issue. Let's solve the issue. That's a peacemaker. And that's what we are called to be. And those who are, this is the thing that flowering in their lives. Wow, everybody's going to like me. Oh no, it's just the opposite, isn't it? They started off liking Jesus, but they ended up crucifying him. And so Jesus, with all practicality, says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You see, people like you as long as you don't stand on their toes or propose to change their luxurious lifestyle. they all for the poor, as long as the poor don't knock on their door. They're all for the downtrodden, as long as the illegal immigrant doesn't pass through their backyard. But when you suggest to them that there's a responsibility to the poor and the illegal immigrant that goes beyond the legality or illegality of them, but to them as real people in, in your world, then they're likely to say, get out of here. I've heard enough. Let's crucify this guy. So Jesus adds that. For theirs, he says, is the kingdom of God. Do you remember that ep episode where I've heard enough? They discover the maggots in their heart 
and they can feel comfortable among us, and the grace of God can begin to operate. And do you remember that episode where there was a paralyzed man and he knew that if he could get into the presence of Jesus, he would be healed. And so four friends said, leave it up to us. We'll bring you. That's what this little burlap roll-up is that you've got in your hands as you came in this morning. It's actually a little stretcher to remind you that you are a stretcher bearer in the kingdom of God. And you know people paralyzed by their sin. You know people paralyzed by their hurt. And you may not be able to minister to them in the way you would like to, but you can say, I will be a stretcher bearer and bring them into those places where the issues of their lives can be dealt with in the grace of God. That's what my ministry is all about. I, I get to talk about this because I'm the preacher today, so you've got to bear with me about this. But have a look at some of the things that are happening, coming up in our church now. We're forming all these connecting, all these authentic relationships and connecting through them to edify the soul. We've got these programs, keep going, uh, to lay a solid foundation for the spiritual aspects of blessing. We've got mulligans. Now, you may know someone who's been through divorce or is struggling with the issues of divorce or maybe uh, in the process of it. Here you go. You can bring them there. Band of brothers to help men discover how God can heal wounded hearts. You know, men with wounded hearts. You might take a brochure and talk to them. And there are brochures for these outside today. Next one would be grief share. Our realtor uh, had a death in her office, and I said to her, oh, we're going to be starting Grief Share next year, a program to assist in the process of dealing with your grieving. And she said immediately, let me know when it starts. So it's that easy to be a stretcher bearer. Keep going. The Healing Path, this is an actual therapy group for women. Our groups are not therapy. We are support groups, and we... We reflect and mirror the word of God and so on. But if you know some woman who is so deeply hurt that she actually needs therapy, this group will be for them. And it starts the end of January and there are flyers for them. This one will cost. This one will cost $30 a session. Uh, but the, the 14 sessions, but the church is willing to help financially if somebody needs that one. Sonship, how to live in the freedom of being God's child. Relational realities, how to learn to relate to other people in a healthy way. And then good sense, we've got a budget meeting, uh, all day seminar on January 27th. You're struggling with your budget, you're slipping and sliding deeper and deeper into debt. Hey, that's a noose around your neck. We'd like to get that off there. And this will be one way to help uh, relational boundaries, you know how people are all encroaching onto that inner space that you can't protect. This will help you to love more deeply while setting the boundaries. And that starts on January 30th. And then uh, facilitator training. Maybe you will be somebody who will not just bear a stretcher, but you will be the leader of stretcher bearers. And we will give help in facilitator training for all of the groups. And that starts... And then finally, you may be able to help in this way. 
uh, every service in this facility takes a lot of people to put it together. Some folks start at 6 a.m. putting chairs out and getting everything set up, and maybe you want to be serving on that once in a while. Uh, we know what the worship team do for us, and we bless God for them. And then there's also the ushers and the welcome team and the information tables and the hospitality table. You could serve once a month by signing up for that and being a stretcher bearer in that sense. And uh, the, the ushers will give you cards relating to that as you leave this morning. Here we are then. We are gathered here in the presence of this table where God says, you want to know what grace is? Here it is. You want to know what it means to be a peacemaker? Jesus gave his body so that we could have peace with God. Do you want to know what it means to be a righteous one? My blood was shed for your sins. And this table then is a very powerful thing that draws us back again to a deeper and richer understanding of the Beatitudes, for here they are de demonstrated in this magnificent way. Why don't you take a minute just to be quiet and expose that wriggling worm, that fat maggot in your heart to God's light so that he can deal with it?